Proverbs chapter 24, verse 5. A wise man is strong, and a man of knowledge increases power. For by wise guidance you will wage war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. Wisdom is too exalted for a fool. He does not open his mouth in the gate. One who plans to do evil, men will call a schemer. The devising of folly is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to men. If you are slack in the day of distress, your strength is limited. Deliver those who are being taken away to death, and those who are staggering to the slaughter. Oh, hold them back. If you say, see, we did not know this, does he not consider it who weighs the hearts? And does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not render to man according to his work? And Father, we thank you for this text. We pray that you would help us as we work our way through this text and and just the context, its message, Lord. Um, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this month, as we're working through wisdom and Proverbs, one thing that jumps out at me through Proverbs and through the whole of Scripture is that there is, there is right and wrong, that there is actually um, evil and righteousness. And often as we follow after God, we are faced with situations of good and evil. And we're kind of forced into either act or to not act, to respond or not to respond And throughout the scriptures, what I often see is that the person who's following after God is called to respond for the sake of justice, for the sake of righteousness, for the sake of basically putting themselves out on a limb and swimming against the stream of the culture. It seems to happen to me all the time. I don't know if I just see things or I happen to come across situations more frequently than your average person. But just a, last month, I think it was the last time Anne and I made our monthly trip up to her grandfather's house. It was night. We were making this. We were doing the trek from the 15 or the 5 to west to San Luis Obispo on the 58. It's a two-lane windy road. It was dark, and I'm driving along. Towards the end of the trip, we had 20 miles to go. And out of the corner of my eye, I, I thought... I saw somebody who had broke the golden rule of driving, which is to keep the shiny side up. I thought I saw a car upside down on the side of the road, but it was pitch black. And there kind of, I thought, was a car pulling out or had stopped. I kept going for like a split second, and my brain's kind of processing it. In that moment of kind of reaching the conclusion, yes, that was a vehicle that was upside down. And then the next tension Do I stop or do I keep going? And this tug of war in my mind began to rage. I've been on the road for six hours with two dogs and two kids. We're almost there. Maybe it wasn't a car. Maybe I just made it up. Surely somebody else will stop that doesn't have all this stuff. And I realized that the right thing to do was to stop. And so I pull over. Of course, I'm in my shorts and flip-flops. And it was significantly colder in Northern California than when I left Valley Center earlier that day. I have my phone with the flashlight on running down. And there, sure enough, is a car that's upside down. 
And at that point, I'm like, oh, I don't like, Lord, why do you do this stuff to me? You know, it's all about me. Like, why do you put me in these situations? And then there, thankfully, was like a cowboy-looking guy with a big old Dodge pickup truck that had stopped. And we were kind of trying to figure out what's going on. It turns out there was nobody there. It was like a mystery. So we're looking for a body that had been injected, and we never found anything. But what I've noticed in our culture, we live in a culture that is filled with apathy, people who don't care about helping others. Whether it's a car accident on the side of the road or an elderly lady that's at Costco trying to pick up birdseed into her cart, which happened to me the other day. And I helped her put the birdseed in her cart. She was very grateful. And Grace looks at me, she's like, Dad, you're just everybody's slave. (laughs) And I think, I'm like... Grace, no, you just do the right thing. But, but it tickled my heart that my daughter looks at me as one who wants to serve others. There was a text a few years ago, literally about seven years ago, that I, that I think relates to this text in Proverbs, which we'll get to. It had to do with Solomon's dad, David, who I think David instilled in Solomon this 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 sense of right and wrong and to respond. And I'd have you turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 23. It's towards the front of the Bible. You'll hit Kings and you'll hit Samuel. This little section, I, I stumbled across this when I was in seminary. I was teaching through Samuel. I had been rejected for every single topic that I, I proposed for my master's thesis. I stumbled upon this text and it basically inspired me to write my thesis topic that they finally approved me on. And, and the story in 1 Samuel chapter 23, David and his mighty men were on the run. Saul was looking to kill them. And they basically were trying to stay alive, waiting for God's timing, not acting on their own behalf. And as they're basically dug out in a ditch somewhere, trying to keep their, their heads on their bodies... This story happened. They get news. Verse 1. Then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Kayla and are plundering the threshing floors. So here's David in a ditch with his handful of men. News comes that the people of Kayla are getting plundered by the Philistines, who are enemies of Israel. These innocent people, or not innocent, these, these people are being victimized by the Philistines, and you've got to respond. Verse 2, so David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go attack the Philistines and deliver Caleb. And so David says, Lord, do you want me to intervene? He sees this injustice. And in our culture, we say, that's their problem, not our problem. Let somebody else deal with them. But David immediately then goes to the Lord and says, Lord, do you want me to intervene? Here's this guy who's basically on the run for his life with no resources, nothing. God, do you want me to go help? There's a right and a wrong, and the right thing is to help these innocent people. And I like the Philistines had iron. They had all sorts of things that could basically destroy David. But David had faced Goliath already and wasn't really concerned so much about the human perspective. He was concerned about what God wanted. And so then God says, yes, go. Then David in verse three breaks the news to his men. But David's men said to him, behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Kayla against the ranks of the Philistines? David, are you crazy? What kind of leader are you? 
There's like six of us or 12 of us or whatever. They'll kill us. And you want us to go, go back and ask God again. Surely your wires got flip-flopped and you misheard his answer. Like he's speaking in the King James Version and you thought he said something else. No offense to the King James Version. It's a great translation. I just don't, I can't read it that well. Then David inquired of the Lord once more. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Cala, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. So David and his men went to Cala and fought with the Philistines, and he led away their livestock and struck them with a great slaughter. Thus David delivered the inhabitants of Cala. So here's this story. Here's this man that continually sees there's a right and there's a wrong. And when he becomes aware of it, he realizes that he is under obligation by God to either to ignore it, which then makes you guilty of it, or to respond to it and to do the right thing. And God's still working like that today. And it's not easy. These are not good situations that we're facing. There's so many issues as I ponder this subject of like doing hard things. There's a book that I, it's, well, I forget their names. It's Greg Harris's Little Brothers. The title of the book is Do Hard Things. I love it. Alex and Brett Harris do hard things. They go around with conferences to young people that to challenge those that love God. God does not give us the path of easiness. You know, Grace and I, we've been working through Pilgrim's Progress Jr. And as they're kind of getting to the celestial city, for those of you who are aware of Pilgrim's Progress, they can either go through the mode and take the hard, rugged path, which is the right way, or the guy comes and says, hey, there's this easy path that's the wrong way. God's path is always, almost always the more difficult path. And some of the issues that I've seen, there's human trafficking that's happening where young people are being sold into the sex industry like worldwide. It's horrible. There's the invisible children. There's other stuff that I see in James that, that true undefiled religion is caring for widows and orphans. Like to see a widow or a child that's been abandoned, or I would even say a single mom who's been abandoned by the father. That to, to, intervene, to, to intervene in these situations is not the easier option. But the scripture tells us that true religion, true undefiled religion is coming alongside these people and helping. And the issue that I want to address today is the sanctity of human life. Today, January 22nd, 2012, marks the 39th anniversary of Roe v. Wade, the decision that happened in our court system some 39 years ago. Since then, 51-plus million children have been aborted. That number is so huge that we can't grasp it. I want to help us get this into perspective On January 12th of 2010, an earthquake rocked Haiti. Tons of people died. Actually, 92,000 people died is a number that they think horrible, catastrophic. Since Roe v. Wade, 92,000 babies have been aborted every 22 days. Every 22 days, 92,000 children have been aborted. On March 11th, 2011... There was an earthquake and tsunami that hit Japan. 
the guesstimate on numbers of the people that were killed there is 20,000 people. 17,000 that are confirmed dead, 3,000 that are missing. Pretty safe to say that they've died, were killed in the instance. On a side note, Cheryl Houston, Rick's wife, she's been cleared through the Southern Baptist Convention to go to disaster relief. She's leaving in two weeks. Next week, we'll hear more of it. She's got to raise about $2,000 to go, and uh, we're going to pray for her next week. But 20,000 people were killed in that. Oh, it's horrible. Our, our world is still reeling from that disaster that happened. But since Roe v. Wade, 20,000 babies have been aborted every five days for the last 39 years. That's catastrophic. There's a lot of arguments that come with this discussion. I used to argue on the other side. So women's, the woman's right to decide. Totally sounds logical to me. Like, I, I get that. I was a man. That's, you're kind of sidelined in the discussion. That it's not a baby. And to be quite honest with you, here at Valley Baptist Church, those arguments I don't really care about. What we care about is what does the Bible say? Because if the Bible makes it clear that, hey, killing a baby or killing, like having an abortion is not a baby. It's just like removing a tumor from your body. No big deal. Then I would be totally okay with it. Just to be clear. If the Bible's argument was overwhelming in defense of pro-choice, I would support it. And so the first question is, what does the Bible say? Is there any evidence within Scripture about the life of a child beforehand? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) If you'd go to Psalm 139, or if you just want to listen to me, in Psalm 139, King David, it's really a prayer between him and God in this discussion, this worshiping of God. And in this text, Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, we read, For you formed my inward parts, your guts, your heart, your liver, your kidneys, everything, your inward parts, everything that's kind of inside of your skin. You wove me in my mother's womb. So he's saying, while I was in my womb, God's hand was placing him together. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth, your eyes had seen my unformed substance. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. So David in the scripture overwhelmingly says that when we look at our own life, God knew of our existence long before the, even the foundations of the world. And then as conception, I got to think of my adult terms in my mind, like when that happens, like at that moment, at that point of conception, all of the DNA, everything is there and God's hand is at work with this life. Anna's pregnant right now. I think today's her 15 week. We were at a board meeting at Alternatives two months ago, and I kind of broke the news. It was early. It's like we're six weeks. Anna was still feeling okay, barely, kind of, roughly. It's all relative. She's not here to verify anything. And Karen, one of the nurses, said, Hey, 
let's do an ultrasound on her. And I'm like, well, I don't know because we we lost our first one, so I don't know if I don't know if the ultrasound is something that is more terrifying or she. Let me talk to her. And Anna's like, sign me up. I'll go right away. And so then they said, hey Gunner, but we want you got to go and kind of schedule an appointment, go through the whole process. And so I was like, okay. So I call down there, I set the whole thing up, and we go down. And Anna was seven weeks, five days by the calculation. And so then they, they're putting us through the whole ringer. Like, I thought I was getting, like, a backdoor pass straight into the ultrasound machine, you know? Like, like they were going to let me fire it up and all of this stuff, you know? None of that happened. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, there's the child. The heart, you can see it beating and moving. And it was overwhelming. Like, this seven, we- seven weeks, five days. That it was clear that this is a child. Now he said, well, Gunnar, you're, you're really stretching. Now, if you can find Exodus, or if you just want to listen to me, in Exodus chapter 21 in the law. In Exodus chapter 21, verses 22 through 25, God had placed this sort of protection. Our law today still has this in effect. This is the first coming of the fetal homicide law. And in this text, we read, if men struggle with one another and strike a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury, he shall surely be fined as the woman's husband may demand of him. And he shall pay as the judges decide. On a side note, I think this is like the wisdom of God is so awesome in this passage. So this is a story. There's a pregnant lady. Two guys get in a brawl. In their scuffle, they bump into this lady. Her, The father of the child may or may not have even been one of the two guys fighting. She goes into labor. The child is born. God says, the husband may demand of him, like basically whatever he wants. And then the guilty person has to pay what the judges decide. So he could say, I want 10 million gazillion dollars because the trauma you put us through... Judge looks at it and says, you know what, That's we're, this is what the guy needs to, to pay for restitution. And that's if everything's okay. But it continues. But if there is any further injury, then you shall appoint as penalty for life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, burn wound for wound, bruise for bruise. This passage equates... An accidental death of a child that goes into labor based on a man's actions as, an, as homicide. This is manslaughter. I might be getting my legal terms mixed matched. But he's guilty of taking the life of another person. I wrestled with this reality. In Kansas City, I was in a doctoral seminar. I think it was in 2008. I flew out there and it was, the whole course was orientation and doctoral studies. And then one of the segments within this orientation was a segment that was focused on critical thinking. The teacher who I'm still friends with today, he's one of the the doctoral professors at Biola. He brought in a guy from the bioethics reform um, team, just began speaking to us on the issue of abortion. I was like blindsided 
by this conversation. Midway through his talk, he said, there's a video to be shown about abortion. And I immediately raised my hand. I have post-traumatic stress disorder. Are you going to make me watch? He's like, no, absolutely nobody's like forced to watch this video. Nobody, absolutely. Like we put warnings on everything so you don't have, you won't accidentally stumble across it. So I stepped out. But the reality was I wasn't stepping out because of post-traumatic stress disorder. I didn't want to see what it was. Because if I saw what it was and I knew what it was, I would be condemning my actions from when I was 18 years old and I didn't really do anything when a girl that I got pregnant had an abortion. If I saw it, then suddenly I would have to acknowledge that I had participated with murder. There was a lot of guilt, a lot of heartburn. Statistically speaking, one out of every three people, that's whatever the age, it's hard because the people that provide our statistics are from a Planned Parenthood, and so they shield the statistics somewhat. But one out of every three adults has had an abortion that's like over 40. At the age of 40, it's like one out of three. If you start talking about like association, like a drive to Planned Parenthood or you know, t- telling somebody it's okay, the numbers are even higher. And so I think that there's this whole wave within the church of people who were like I was. Guilty, condemned before God, sidelined because of the guilt and the shame of something that I'd participated in, something that I'd never, ever voiced to anybody. So I left that seminar totally kind of just rattled. And if you're feeling that guilt today, I want to offer you some hope. We'll get to that more later. But I found this quote from Mark Driscoll that I thought is quite good. He was speaking on the same subject, and he said, Some of you would sit here and argue and say, How dare God judge me on this issue? He said, How great that God would die for you. The God who judges you is the God who dies for you. The God who judges you is the God who forgives you. The God who judges you wants you to know that even if, you're, if you've not had a murder, you have blood on your hands. That we're all murderers. That Jesus died for our sin, that we murdered God. That any of you who would even hear this and feel self-righteous saying, I've done some bad things. At least I've not killed a baby. You've killed God. We all come with bloody hands. And Jesus dies for us. He rises for us. He loves us. He forgives us. He embraces us. And he pursues us for friendship, which I think is powerful. Following this seminar, or maybe it was a little bit beforehand, it's kind of a blur in my mind. Anna could tell you all of the dates precisely. At some point, Anna and I were sitting around one afternoon. When we interviewed for SIM, the missionary, they cleared us to go to Africa. God wanted me to come to Valley Center. 
very close, and you know. We had to meet with a psychologist and, and doing all of these personality tests, and it, it was a nightmare. One of the things that they gave to Anna was kind of, hey, as a pastor's kid, missionary kid, like a book that, like, hey, you're not perfect, it's okay, sort of thing. And me, it was like, you know, healing wounds for, like, damaged emotions or something. And so I started working through this, this workbook. And it was understood that Anna, if she wanted me to do it, which she did, then she wouldn't look at this workbook. And there was one page of like concentric rings that you are supposed to put every like hurt and pain that had happened to you over the course of your life. One of the things I wanted to put on there, but I couldn't because I hadn't shared with anybody what had happened was abortion. And so Anna started, you know, when afternoon, she's like, well, how's that workbook going? I'm like, yeah, it's going okay. She's like, ah, what's going on? Well, the, the problem is I can't really answer everything fully. She's like, what do you mean? I can't tell you. How about you guess, and I'll tell you if you're right or wrong sort of thing. So she starts listing all those sort of things, you know. She said, do you have a kid out there? And I was like, like uh, it's not really yes, not really no. She said, have you had an abortion? And I was just like, yes. I felt so relieved in that moment. And Anna had like a whole dump truck of gravel dumped onto her like body. See, Anna's like in Anna's personality, she's the one that wants to be picketing Planned Parenthood with signs and getting arrested. Like Anna's one of her aspirations is to get arrested in this cause. And I'm like, no, Anna, we got to hold back. Like, let's not go that far. You know, I'm and we'd always gotten like arguments over this issue. And suddenly in this moment of confession, our two worlds collided because when we talk about this, there's great tension. There's so many different issues that we have to address from the, in the Christian world when it comes to the Bible when we start talking about abortion. On the one front, there's a third of all people probably higher in the church that have been affected by abortion, that have guilt, shame, sorrow, remorse. And so we have the obligation to preach and teach and share forgiveness, God's love. And on the other end of the spectrum, there's this tension of protecting the unborn, of acknowledging what it is. And I think that the Bible is very clear on how we're to respond. First and foremost, that we're to preach Christ crucified for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose on the third day according to scriptures, and that in him there's forgiveness of all sins, including any abortion that you've been through or participated in. I do believe that there's a wave of people in the church that are being silenced because Satan is holding this against them when God has forgiven them. We have a person here today that's going to be able to share with us that went through that. Tammy, you guys all know Tammy, or most of you know Tammy. But our text for today in Proverbs chapter 24, to me it's clear that this passage is a compelling push for those people who love God that we can't sit on the sidelines. It says, deliver those who are being taken away to death. Deliver those who are being taken away to death. And those who are staggering to the slaughter Oh, hold them back. 
If you say, see, we did not know this, does he not consider it who weighs the hearts? And does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not render to man according to his work? This passage isn't isolated with abortion, but abortion fits in its umbrella. This passage has compelled many people over the years to intervene. The Holocaust. Hitler was annihilating the Jewish people. Many people like Bonhoeffer basically risked their lives against the odds, gave their lives, I should say, when it comes to Bonhoeffer, if I'm going to speak accurately, to rescue those that are being taken away to the slaughter. And I couldn't help when I went to Israel like a year and a half ago or so, walking through the Holocaust Museum when they have the Garden of the Righteous Nations where they've planted trees of the very people who were not Jewish that intervened. And our Jewish tour guide was not a Christian. His name was Jacob or Jacob. Funny, short, stubby little guy. He was a history teacher. He introduced himself by saying, I used to be a history teacher. And everybody in this school said that because they talk with he talks with his hand, you know, so I got to be careful when I'm quoting him. He said that when he taught history in the school, everybody, he said, everybody would say that when you taught history, the whole school learned history, meaning that he was so loud and everybody could hear him. And he had had a grandfather that was killed in the Holocaust. And we got to the garden. I was like really stoked. I wanted to get there to see Corey Ten Boom's little tree, their family, and take pictures of it. Like I had my big agenda. And we got to the garden. And he said, I want to talk to all of you first. He was not happy with the, the museum tour guide that talked about the garden. He sat there and he said, my grandfather was killed in the Holocaust. He's like, and I come here and I see these trees. There's 10,000 trees. 10,000 trees. We were being put to the gas chambers and only 10,000 trees in all of Europe that came to our aid. 10,000. Nobody stood. Why? Where was everybody? And he had tears in his eyes. And all I could think, it's the same thing applies about abortion in our nation today. Can't show images. That's not, it's not politically correct. But when it comes to Haiti, when it comes to Japan, showing images is totally Okay. When you look at our movies, when you look at television, images are okay. Whoever the guy was that turned abortion into a political, a political subject was genius. It has nothing to do with politics, although politics is an avenue. John Piper on Proverbs chapter 24 says this. The duty of a verse 11 could be stated like this. If a group of humans is being taken away to death, who ought not to be taken away to death? The people who fear God ought to try and rescue them. Or to those who use or to use the words in the second half of the verse, if there is a group of humans who are stumbling, literally slipping to the slaughter, who ought not to be slipping to the slaughter, the people who fear God ought to try to hold them back from the slaughter. What is being commanded here is some kind of intervention from us when we become aware of humans being killed who ought not to be killed. It's clear. Deliver those. There's no, we didn't know this. God says, I'm going to weigh your heart. There's no like, 
There's no clause out of this. We're to intervene, but how? Like it's overwhelming. When you look at the injustices around the world, how are we as Christians to intervene? First, we're to pray. We need to be on our knees praying and asking God for help, for protection, for wisdom in navigating this. The second thing is we need to reach out to those suffering from the guilt and shame. Be careful with how you talk abortion. Assume that everybody that you are talking to about abortion, assume that they've had an abortion. Assume that they've had a grandchild aborted. Assume that they've had a, a daughter or a child of their own aborted. Make the assumption that they have. Don't just assume that, oh, they're good Christian people and they love the Lord. At alternatives, it overwhelms me. Like in our economy right now, there are so many, there are people from churches coming seeking abortions. There are married couples seeking abortions. Don't assume anything except that they've had an abortion because that'll, that'll flavor your speech in the discussion. Reach out to those that are abort intent. That's basically anybody in the given situation, a young mom that's out of wedlock, um, anybody who's pregnant, reach out to them, encourage them. I think an area that the church has failed in or is not making the mark is reaching out to single moms. We as a church at, at large believe in the pro-life movement. But when it comes to the 16-year-old girl that's lugging around an 18-month-old baby, we don't have a whole lot of patience for them. And so I think part of the pro-life movement is coming alongside those that, are, that made the choice, but they're not in really a position. Adoption is an option. Politics, we're, we are totally in a political year. I'm not big into politics. It's like We don't push politics in who to vote for at all. But as Christians, I think we will stand before God for how we cast our vote or how we didn't vote. If you're an American submitting to the authorities, if you have the legal right to vote, you should be voting. And there's a variety of people even in voting for pro-life, how they decide to do that. There's different stress. All I'm saying is pray, seek, realize that God cares about how you vote. I don't think God necessarily endorses a certain candidate, but I think God wants us to be prayerfully, to consider our options. One of the organizations that we support is Alternatives Women's Center, which is down in Escondido. There's a lot of stuff that we can do for them. Today we have with us, I'm not done with the message, I'm just taking a short intermission, but you guys can't go to the bathroom or get drinks or anything like that. But we have Tammy DeArmas, and she is the um, she served on the board with me, or I served on the board with her because she was there a lot longer. And uh, she's a dear friend, and she's now the CEO of Alternatives. So she's going to share with us about the ministry that we support as a church. Okay. I first of all, first and foremost, I really want to thank Valley Center Baptist Church for coming alongside us and supporting us. Without the churches 
being involved in supporting us with volunteers, financially, uh, board members, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. We just passed, at our past board meeting, we just passed a $450,000 budget, and last year the funds that we received in were, were close to $500,000. So that's um, just totally an answer to the from the Lord that he wants us to be where we are, and we are moving forward. I wanted to add a little bit of uh, statistics to what Gunnar had said and then give you a little bit of the statistics and where we're going at alternatives this year. According to Guttmacher, which is the research arm of Planned Parenthood, at least half of American women will experience an unintended pregnancy by the age of 45. And at current rates, one in 10 will have an abortion by the age of 20, one in four by the age of 30, and three out of 10 by the age of 45. So, and that is not selective of just non-Christians. That's across the board. So uh, what Gunnar was saying, one out of three women in the church pew could have potentially had an abortion. And um, Satan is real good about keeping us sunk in our seats and um, fully sat there for years until I realized that that wasn't, I needed to speak for those who cannot speak. And I know we speak for the babies who cannot speak, but I speak for the moms that are out there. Uh, one that chose abortion in the past. I I just have received the healing from the Lord, and that's something that the women in the post-abortion classes that we do teach, they come, they fully know that um, Christ died on the cross for our sins, and we talk about everything's equal at the foot of the cross. So you don't have the capacity to forgive yourself. He has forgiven you, and from that we have to receive that, that we are forgiven, because if you don't believe that, then you don't believe what he did on the cross was good enough for your abortion, and that's such a lie. And so when these women receive that, it's just awesome. One of the stats that I want to you to go home with 61% of abortions are obtained by women who have who have one or more children so it's not the single high school student necessarily receiving the abortion due to the economy our stats are rising in the women in the late 20s 30s coming in here uh, having one and two children and the husbands are just freaking out because of the economy something a choice that they would never make before so uh, we are working really hard with that. Our center stats this year, we had 1,663 patients come in, patient visits. Total pregnancy tests were 385, ultrasounds 195. Out of 277 abortion vulnerable women, 86 chose life. Those are women that come in that it might be a 13-year-old that comes in and says, yes, I'm going to choose life for my child, but yet she hasn't told her parents. She, hasn't, she doesn't even know who the dad is sometimes. So these, those are abortion-vulnerable. Uh, abortion-minded women out of 70 that we had this year, 25% chose life. So there's still work to be done. Um, our, our nurses and our advisors work really hard with these women on that note, spiritual conversations. We had 969 spiritual conversations and 144 um, times we were able to share the gospel. So with each one of these women, we do try to uh, talk to them spiritually, but when a young girl comes in and is just freaked out about a pregnancy, not not knowing who the dad is, not knowing what to do, getting to that spiritual conversation is a journey, so we just try to come alongside them. 
regarding the post-abortion classes, we did teach in three churches this year, and we had 16 women go through the classes, which represented uh, approximately 50 babies. And out of the them, 16 women, out of the 16 women, 25% went on to be leaders. So now we're raising up leaders in the churches to have post-abortion classes, just like a women's group at the churches, where the women can come. If the women feel that uncomfortable about having it in their um, own church, we I also have women from one church going to another church and sister churching because sister. Sister churches, because it's difficult for women. They don't want other people seeing them. It, it's just difficult until you can work through that. I wanted to share uh, two other things. Our work, Walk for Life is May 19th at Kit Carson Park. You have all supported that um, each year. Last year we raised about $53,000, and we're hoping we have that on the budget to raise this year. Our banquet is October 25th, 2012, and we have a, a, our speaker this year. We just solidified a great speaker, and we're excited about it, and we have Pam Tebow coming to speak, which is an amazing testimony um, as she was a missionary in the Philippines, I believe, and the doctors had asked her to abort her baby because he would have... Um, medical conditions due to the drugs that she was taking from the disease that she had. And she um, chose not to listen to the doctors and listen to the Lord, and she now has a wonderful son, Tim Tebow. Um, One of the things Gunnar had mentioned about um, single moms, we're committed to the single moms and and, uh, working with them. They do Bible studies at... at, um, local churches, and they come in to earn mommy money that they can earn uh, money for diapers and clothing. But this year, Karen and I were able to go through a graduation with the girls in Escondido, and there's 160 girls in the CalSAFE program over at San Pasquale High School, which are all three Escondido high schools. And I think there were 40 graduates last year. Some of them had two babies, and I know several of the girls had like three, eight, six averages. So that's a wonderful grade point average. I I know I have three teens who can't remember to grab their lunch that has been made for them in the morning to get out of school. So I can't imagine how they could raise children. So we're committed. Uh, the board passed that we will be giving some small scholarships out to these young girls because statistics say a single mom isn't going to go on to college. And we want to help these young girls get on to college. And lastly, uh, I know Gunnar had talked about sharing, coming alongside people. And we do have an app on um, one of the cell phone application, iPod, iPhone, whatever, uh, iTunes. If you go at Alt Women's Center, you can download it. It's a free app, and it will talk to you about how to share with someone who's had an abortion and how to talk to someone who's considering abortion. And it's a, it's a really neat app that we the kids can now use to because it's not something you're going to talk about on Facebook. So... Uh, Lastly, if there's any questions, we are there for you. If you want to come take a tour, we would love to have you. Thank you for allowing your pastor to be on our board. It's just a great friendship for each one of us. So thank you all. All right. Just to conclude, when it comes to this subject, I'm I'm really committed to two things. The first 
is to save babies' lives. Like that's the number one. We want to help protect the child that's in the womb uh, for life. The second thing is that we realize that there are so many people that have been hurt by abortion, whether you've had one, been connected to one, assisted somebody in getting one, had a, had a child that had one. It affects everybody. We need to determine what God thinks about abortion. That's the most important thing. So often we, we come to these talks and a guy speaks on it like I'm doing today. And I understand that there are probably people in here who have adrenaline flowing through their veins and anger what's being said. I know because I was one of them. The first time I was exposed, I like just wanted to get up and punch the guy in the face. But I knew that wasn't the Christian thing to do. And, and that, that, that just being convicted with this, because in, in the understanding what abortion is, it meant that I also had to acknowledge what I was involved with. The first and most important thing, we need to come to understand what God says about the child in the womb. The time to decide about what that child is in the womb is not when you find out that your daughter, your grandchild, your friend is pregnant in a bad situation. That's not the time to start figuring out what God wants. We need to bring reconciliation. There are so many people in the pews, or you know, we say that we don't have pews. Most churches don't. But when you start talking about abortion with people, don't assume that they haven't had one. If you're going to assume anything about abortion, assume that the person that you're talking to has been involved in an abortion. Either they've had one, or a family member's had one, or they drove a friend down to Planned Parenthood. Assume that they have, because statistically speaking, they have. And when you assume that, what it's going to do is it's going to salt your conversation with love. God wants to bring reconciliation to those that have participated in abortion. There's total forgiveness. There's total healing. There's total cleansing. And if you're a Christian that wants to act in this area, there are so many opportunities to get involved. Um, thankfully, we have literally probably, like in the state of California, we, we have the best pregnancy care clinic in all of California. And we're probably, who knows, but we're in the top echelon nationwide that we have right in our backyard that you can volunteer with, you can get involved with, you can pray for, you can participate in the Walk for Life and the banquet. Um, there's so many things that we can do to actually help people in need. I would just ask you to pray and ask God, Lord, what injustices? And maybe this isn't an injustice that, that like has caused you something that you really feel like God's compelling you to do. Maybe it's invisible children. They're, whatever it is, maybe it's a lady trying to lift you know, bird seed into her cart at Costco. But God wants us to be people that actually get in the, involved in helping others and standing for right and wrong. And Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. I just, Lord, I come before you with a heavy heart, and I thank you, Lord, that you um, 
Lord, that you are so persistent in my life that you didn't allow me to hide this abortion I was involved with, Lord, for forever. Lord, that over the course of 20 years or so, Lord, that you continued chipping away at me, that you continued working to the place where I could uh, confess it to my wife, where I can speak about it so openly now. Lord, I thank you for the work that was done on the cross, Lord, that was totally sufficient to pay for our sins. And Lord, I pray for those in this room, Lord, that are um, still suffering from the wounds of abortion, Lord, that linger for years and years and years. Father, I pray that your spirit would just flush over them, Lord, that you would, um, Lord, that you would bring healing to them, Lord, that you would, Lord, help them to take steps in the right direction, Lord, that they could forgive themselves um, and just fully receive your forgiveness. Father, we pray that as a church, you would help us um, to embody your love um, for those that have chosen life, Lord, for these young single women with no dad in the picture, Lord, that you would help us to come alongside them. Father, we pray that uh, as we stand to protect the unborn, Lord, we pray that um, you would help us to do it in love. We do pray for our nation. Lord, as this is an election year, we pray that you would, Lord, just help the progress for life to continue to move forward. Uh, We pray for all of those that have been appointed to leadership of our country, Lord. We pray that you would move in their hearts. We pray that you would burden us to pray for them daily. And again, Lord, we just thank you so much for your love for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.